In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. From Isaiah. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Good Friday is the most startling and disruptive day of the Christian year. It is more unlike every other liturgy than any other service. Nothing happens how it is supposed to happen. We process in silence. We're not wearing the right vestments. And then there is the awful sight of a stripped sanctuary and an empty tabernacle. It is the day when church is least like church, when we come closest to being unmade. We're meant to lose our breath, to become disoriented, to look about for what to do. What is clear is that we can't just go about doing church as usual. But the austerity of today's liturgy is not just for dramatic effect not just an attempt to exploit our emotions for pious ends. Today's liturgy must be so arresting because the focus of today is something that we are constantly and desperately trying to avoid, the sight of Jesus Christ on the cross. We cannot overstate the difficulty of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. The Passion narrative today is especially attentive to this avoidance. For as much as Jesus is the object of everyone's schemes, when he is actually with them, they only want to move him along. We see this in the crowd, stuck in a mindless chant of, away, away, not him, not him, crucify, crucify. Inelegant, perhaps, but effective. This background noise pushes the confrontation with two other parties. We see this first in Pilate, who tries again and again to dismiss matters, first through procedure and then through savage brutality. When he cannot make it go away by citing legal protocol, he tries to hurt Jesus enough so that the crowd will be satisfied and disperse. We see it second in the chief priests, who escalate and accelerate his death by any means necessary, even to the point of betraying every other attachment in their expedience. Who, a week earlier, could have imagined the Sanhedrin saying the words, we have no king but Caesar? They'll say anything just to make Jesus go away. Sin always has this paradox about it. We are enticed and repulsed by it at the same moment. There is that within us which lingers to entertain something we know is wrong, even while we experience an inner dread that makes us want to run away. And sin, once accomplished, 
always leaves us with the burned-up remains of the original enticement. Desire collapses into a numb and a hollow hatred of the thing we've done and the people we've done it with, leaving us only at that point with the compulsive urge to just move on. This, too, is on display in the gospel. In perhaps the coldest moment of the whole ordeal, the religious authorities politely petition to break the legs of the condemned to speed up their deaths. They just aren't dying quickly enough. There's a schedule to keep, after all. And we all have our holiday parties to attend. Everyone plays their part to perfection at the crucifixion. Because these habits on display have been the practice of mankind since the beginning. Good Friday, every Friday, always brings us back to the old wound of the sixth day. The horror of the cross always mirrors the horror of Adam and Eve at the tree. What did we see there? We lingered. We negotiated with the tempter. We wore down our resolve, and we sinned. We then suffered shame, alienation, and grasped with futility to hide ourselves from each other and from God. We did not want to be seen anymore, and then we did not see anything. We didn't want to be with anymore, and so we started running. After the fall, No longer was there any mention that the tree looked desirable, nor is it said that Adam and Eve ever saw delight in anything else. The first family splintered as they entered a joyless exile from home. And what do we see in the events of this day? The same tragic, impotent splintering and running. Humanity left Eden, and has been trying to avoid the memory of the fruit of that awful tree, to prove to itself it can get over what happened there ever since. And thousands of years later, in an astonishing united effort of church and state and every man, with all the red tape cut and institutions aligned, what did we accomplish? We recreated the tree, and then we hanged God upon it. Why do we want to look away so badly? Because after all of our striving as a people, none of it worked, and we're enraged and terrified. The cross makes us feel powerless, like there's nowhere really to run, nowhere to look but this single awful place, and that is precisely the point. The sight of Christ crucified is a revelation of what happens when we really get our acts together as a human race. It defies all of our aspirations to control and manage life. The cross is a door in the fabric of a dying world that leads to life, but it will only admit us on its own terms, and it requires that we face again the cost of our sins in the face of Jesus Christ. The cross offers freely an unthinkably costly salvation that ruins all of our ambitions to self-help and self-optimize. The cross cannot be bought. 
The cross cannot be negotiated. It is not a technique to master. It is a life to gain by losing everything else. The cross ruins all mere optimism, but the cross gives birth to real hope. It's okay to stop running. We haven't gone too far to go home. We can turn around, and if we do, we will see a face. It will hurt at first. We want to look away from Christ today, because he reveals, looking at us, how little we actually love both ourselves and each other. To look at him today reminds us that before seeing him on the cross, we have never known what love really looked like. The love that he has when he looks at us. The love that makes us want to stop and be held by it. The love that never looks away. And if we will be still, even for a moment, we will see what that love is doing today. Not everyone, it turns out, was running. Not everyone, it turns out, wanted Jesus to go away. We have to get close. There's a quiet moment taking place, but you'd have to be at the foot of the cross to witness it. There, Jesus invites his beloved disciple and his mother to come closer and to behold. It does not just mean look at. Behold means receive me, be with me. Jesus beholds his mother, his mother beholds him. Our lady never looked away because our lady never looks away and she treasures all that she beholds in her heart. Jesus beholds the disciple and invites him to behold Mary whom he gives as a mother and to whom he gives the disciple as a son. The only people today that stopped running are those who, standing still, receive from the dying Lord something new, something lost since the fall at the beginning. They receive each other as a family. The Lord, in gladly going to the suffering of the cross, does as the new Adam what the old Adam did not. He stands between the new Eve and the tree, and he stays there. He's not going anywhere. He gives her the beloved disciple as a son and makes a new family. He leads them to the tree again to heal that deepest wound and to welcome his new family to the life that can now come after that wound is healed. The tree of death becomes in the quiet of that moment the tree of life. It is the last work of the old creation, making right what went wrong that first sixth day. And then it is finished. We must return to the cross today. It is only there that we can become again what we are called to be, the family of God, the first fruits of the new creation, the church. To run now is to run from life into death. To look anywhere else is to look from light into darkness. Our call today is to stand still 
and behold and listen and wait. It is only when we look, when we really look, that we discover that he has never wanted to stop seeing us, beholding us. And to be seen by him is to be healed. We have to go there first, back to him, and with him back to where it still hurts the most. There is no salve where there is not first the wound. There is no new life where there was not once death. We will never find Easter unless we seek it through Good Friday. We will never rise with him unless we forsake all else to go and die with him. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.